Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You may not always like his opinion, but you can bet he'll have one. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. as profiting this is not a time for profit or for gaining or for uh, thinking oh I did it or I hit the jackpot or whatever this is this is I think a time for remembering it's a time of reconciliation there's the voice of Omar Cotter time of thinking and a time of reconciliation We'll talk about the reconciliation part with uh, Lane Morris in the next hour. The former United States Special Forces Sergeant, whose eye was destroyed by Cotter's grenade. I know Lane has a lot of things to say about Omar Cotter. And uh, we've talked to Lane Morris for approximately 10 years. And not so long ago, I actually had Lane on the air with Omar Cotter's American military lawyer, JAG lawyer, Lieutenant Commander William Keebler. Uh, sadly, the uh, Lieutenant Commander has passed away. He was a decent guy. He was just doing the job he was assigned to do, and that was to represent Omar Cotter. But Lane Morris was not uh, inclined to listen to anything that was going to be complimentary to Omar Cotter. I suspect nothing's going to change today, particularly with the Trudeau government having made it their business to very quickly deliver the $10.5 million to Mr. Cotter to spend at his discretion, of course. We didn't go to court. No, no, didn't go to court. And the assumption that I keep reading in mainstream media is that the liberals got advice that they couldn't possibly win the case. Well, that's the assumption. If you wanted to do every case with the assumption that you couldn't possibly win... Well, you won't know what would happen. Everyone would be guilty. In this case, I suppose we're all guilty because Cotter gets the money. And I saw some tweets. I saw one by Mahar Arar yesterday. Mr. Arar uh, tweeted words to the effect that if you're opposed to the Omar Cotter settlement, then there's racism involved. No, there isn't. No, there isn't, Mr. Arar. It just doesn't seem right. In fact, it seems sleazy. Now, I've heard from a, 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 so many listeners, Roy at RoyGreenShow.com, and on Twitter, at the Roy Green Show. Follow me there. And we'll talk a lot about the uh, Cotter situation and the various governments involved in the decisions that are made. But I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, and you've heard him many times on this program over the years. Scott Newark is a former Alberta Crown prosecutor, also the former executive director of the Canadian Police Association and vice chair of the Ontario Office for Victims of Crime, the director of operations for Investigative Project on Terrorism in Washington, D.C., and Scott was a security policy advisor for the governments of Canada 
and Ontario. Scott, I know you've looked at the decisions by the Supreme Court and uh, the as much as we know about the decision that was made by the current government about turning over the $10.5 million to Cotter and then issuing an apology, a formal apology to Cotter. What are you getting out of all of this? What do you make of it? Well, I think the, uh, the point that you made initially about uh, essentially why it is that the government of Canada lawyers just folded and never even tried to challenge the issues that would have had to have improved um, so as to get some kind of uh, compensation. And you're right, I went back and read the, uh, the original decisions. And the basis, by the way, of the charter breach, the assumptive charter breach, is because of a January 2010 decision of the Supreme Court of Canada that reviewed the interactions of Canadian officials with Cotter while he was in Guantanamo Bay in 2003 and 2004. And that is, I am uh, quite sure what uh, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale was getting at yesterday during the media conference on this, when he repeatedly made the point that this was not about what happened in Afghanistan, this is what, ha- what happened uh, in Guantanamo Bay. And um, while there is some legitimacy to that point in the sense of that's what triggered the conclusion from the Supreme Court that there had been a charter breach, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Ralph Goodale look as uncomfortable or as evasive as he was yesterday in trying to tap dance his way around this because the number one thing that needs to be kept in mind about all of this is that Omar Cotter was not in Guantanamo Bay because of his hair color. He was in Guantanamo Bay because of what he did in Afghanistan. Okay, so there is a link whether the liberal government wants to acknowledge it or not. And the point really was is that what happened, Roy, was back in uh, 2003, 2004, Canadian officials quite properly wanted to interview Cotter about essentially uh, his family's involvement with al-Qaeda. And people forget about this, or perhaps don't even know about the extent of the links of Cotter's family with the most senior uh, al-Qaeda leaders. And our officials went down to gather information and intelligence about it. I've expressed it this way in the past, which is, had they not done that, they would have been negligent. Okay, so our people were doing their job in going down to try to get some information. We, however, did not control the process. The Americans did. So it was the Americans that had decided that you can come down and interview them if you want, but you're going to have to give us the copies of any you know, interviews that you do or any tapes or anything else like that. Although I got to tell you, I suspected and confirmed later, Roy, that... Um, they were taping everything anywhere in Guantanamo Bay. So basically, we gave the Americans what they already had, okay? And that's relevant to a determination of the extent or the effect of any charter breach. They also, you know, made it clear that yeah, he was not allowed to have uh, counsel present when these interviews were taking place. They controlled the procedures out, and we had to agree to it to go down and do that. So in two times uh, in uh, uh, 2003... Foreign Affairs and CSIS officers went down and interviewed him, and once, I believe it was in February of uh, 2004, a Foreign Affairs official went down, and he was told in advance that they were going to uh, engage in sleep deprivation of Cotter, basically waking him up every three or four hours to move him around in the effort they thought it might, uh, in effect, soften him up. When you read the notes, by the way, of the, uh, the Canadian officials who were involved in the interviews, it had absolutely no impact on him whatsoever. 
But the Supreme Court decided that even though this was an American-controlled system, because of the um, general unfairness of it and their conclusion that it essentially you know, breached international protocols to which Canada had agreed, the conduct of the Canadian officers breached Catter's rights under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's what the ruling was in, uh, in January of 2010, and that's the basis on which it is being put forward that, oh, gee, we, you know, we had no, uh, no chance to win this case. And I've got to tell you, I think that's just nonsense. Well, I was about to ask you, if you were in charge, if it had been your decision to make, they filed a $20 million lawsuit against this country, would you have said, fine, see you in court? Yes. And I, let, let me just explain why, because... In particular, uh, the, the Supreme Court, when they made the ruling in 2010, the application had been brought by Catter's lawyers, one set of his lawyers, and he's had many, many sets of lawyers who he repeatedly fires and then rehires. The application was brought to get the declaration that this was a violation of his charter rights, and Roy, they actually sought a specific remedy, which, if you may recall, was to have the Supreme Court direct the government, which at that point was the Harper Conservative government, to direct the government to seek his repatriation. Well, the Supreme Court found that there had been a charter breach, okay, but they then refused to give the remedy that was sought in um, ordering the government to uh, request repatriation. And instead they said, we will just state that there was a breach and it's up to the government to decide how it should remedy that. That is hugely relevant in terms of whether or not you're going to potentially win or lose at a case for compensation in the future. Yet it was seemingly just ignored by the current Liberal government in making this decision. No. And guess, and there's even more. Uh, that was in January of 2010. I've managed to get some of the documents. As you may remember, Carter entered into his plea deal with the Americans in October of 2010. Okay, part of that deal was that he would receive an agreed-upon sentence that was of eight years and that he would serve one year in the United States and thereafter he would be eligible to apply to be repatriated back to Canada. That's done pursuant to the International Transfer of Offenders Act and Canada has to agree to it. In October of 2010, in other words, you know, nine months after the Supreme Court decision, the former Conservative government actually gave a diplomatic note, I have a copy of it, to the Americans saying that they would, quote, give favorable consideration to a request for transfer. So in other words, completely contrary to what was stated yesterday by the Liberal cabinet ministers at this media conference, in fact, it was the conservative government that took the steps to repatriate and expedite Catter's return to Canada. And that's what actually took place. So if that's the case, arguably if there was a charter breach as defined by the Supreme Court, the remedy was already provided in what the government did by returning them to Canada. Scott, I had to take a break, but didn't Cotter also delay his return to Canada by firing his lawyers, uh, Edney and, and Whitley? Constantly, yeah, and by also launching all sorts of different applications, challenging the process, absolutely. So he's, he, he was Cotter, was, Cotter was specifically and personally responsible for the delay to return to Canada. Much of the delay, yes, he was. Let me take a break. We'll come back more with Scott Newark on the Roy Green Show on the Corus Radio Network. We'll also include your calls in the next half hour at 800-263-2428, 800 263 
28, and have you say your piece about the $10.5 million delivered already, check cashed to Omar Cotter. I'm sure his lawyers are not hurting, um, but then nobody works for free. 800-263-2428, the uh, $10.5 million for Cotter already delivered. Does it infuriate you? Are you angry at Trudeau? Or are you one of the Canadians who's saying, hold on, he was a child soldier. He deserves everything he received. $10 million. 800-263-2428 is the number. Want to make sure you get on the air, give us a call. We'll put you on hold. And when we go to the calls, we'll make sure that we get to hear from you. We're back after this. Compassionate, caring, and cuddly. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. It would take the average person earning $50,000 a year in this country to work 200 years to earn the gross $10 million that Cotter received. He actually received 10.5. It would take 200 years, and then you'd have to pay income tax on that. And, of course, Cotter pays no tax on uh, on the money that he received. I hope, I really hope, that uh, Sergeant Lane Morris... And uh, Tabitha Spear, the widow of Christopher Spear, I hope they can, I know they can sue Cotter. I hope they get some of the money. I hope they get some of the money. Uh, Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta and former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association, also former Policy Advisor to uh, the Federal Minister for Public Safety, not the current minister. No. One who actually knew what he was doing, not like the current guy. Uh, that's my editorial point of view. Scott, why the $10 million? What is it that makes that the magic number? Is it because the Liberal government didn't want to be publicly reminded of their indifference to Carter while they were in power, Chrétien was, and they had the opportunity to petition to remove him from Guantanamo and bring him back to Canada? Yeah, potentially so. I mean, uh, and actually, in fairness, uh, my understanding is that in 2002, the government actually asked the Americans not to send him to Guantanamo Bay, uh, and the Americans just ignored us. That's uh, different than saying, bring him, let him come yeah, back to it, Canada. It, it is. They could have made the uh, formalized request, but I, but I have to tell you, my sense yeah. is that it would have been ignored. Okay. Um, so what's the, why, what's the $10 million? What makes that the magic number? Well, you know, that's what was given to uh, Arar. Um, interestingly, the, uh, the details of this one are uh, pretty behind closed door, aren't they? Uh, yeah. At least with Arar, you know, we knew what some of the details exactly. were. There had been some kind of an inquiry, although there were, in my opinion, lots of problems uh, with uh, essentially how it was conducted. But it was, you know, uh, laid out as to what it was that was the uh, apparent uh, wrongdoing by our officials, and the amount was there. But this is now the second one of these settlements that this government has done where everything is a secret. And I have to tell you about the amount of money, and I think you mentioned it just uh, as you were going off the air before the break, uh, and I have questions about this too. Um, how much of this money is actually going in contingency fees to pay uh, Cotter's lawyers' teams? Well, what, what do you think the, uh, what the, what the average 
fee be, or is there such a thing as an average fee for something like this? My understanding like is this? that uh, it would not be unusual if it was 30%. And he's got two teams of lawyers, one in Alberta and one in Toronto, that the guys in Toronto apparently were handling the, uh, uh, the compensation issues. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's the case, is, is that literally what's happened here, that behind closed door, government lawyers and Cotter's lawyers have gotten all chummy and handed over you know, millions of dollars in taxpayers' money. So the lawyers could the get lawyers? more than Cotter. Yeah. I, I must admit, uh, I hope somebody starts asking some questions about that. Yeah, me we too. We even take a look in the public accounts. I saw a reporter ask Minister Goodale about that during the media conference. He really did look like a deer in the headlights of a very large truck, didn't he? Well, and he's normally, I think, very good uh, in the sense of answering questions and being blunt about things. Uh, uh, but uh, not yesterday. Um, what so about I hope Scott? Have some questions about that, Scott. What about uh, the argument that here Cotter was? He was a child soldier. He was dragged off to Afghanistan by his father, who was a buddy of Osama bin Laden's. And you can't blame Cotter because he was a child soldier. I've seen that a few more than a few times. Well, let's let's be uh, let me be lawyerish first. Uh, as I understand it, according to the international the, the terms of the um, the international agreements, uh, he was actually he did not meet the definition of a child soldier because he was not under the age of 15, okay? But having said that, I don't think there is anybody who would seriously question the fact that, in, you know, that he literally was somebody who was under the evil influence of his parents, who had inculcated him to this death cult of uh, extremist Islam and all of his brothers and sisters and brought them over there. And, I mean, one of the questions for me right from the get-go on this stuff, and I was... I was one of the people that used to follow some of this stuff. I knew who Ahmad Khadr was, his father, before 9-11. Um, and uh, why, has his, why were his parents, and his father's dead now, but his mother's still alive, why has she not been charged under Section 215 of the Criminal Code, which is failing to provide the necessaries of life, which includes protecting your kids, mm-hmm. being radicalized into this kind of a death cult and putting them in these... You've asked that question for a long time. Yeah, we, we really have, you know. Yeah. And I mean, hey, can you? Uh, are, are you really busy, or can you stay with us a while? I can stay a little longer. Yeah. Okay, let me put you on hold because we have to take a break. But we're going to come back, and we'll include. We'll get to your phone calls when we come back. And Scott Newark will stay. He can answer a lot of questions uh, from the legal perspective that I don't have the answers to, being a former Crown attorney and uh, also a former uh, advisor on uh, on uh, terrorism matters and national security to Ottawa and federal government, and to the Ontario government. My number is 1-800-263-2428. 800-263-2428. On the Carter, receiving $10.5 million. What is your reaction? What's your response? What do you want to tell us about how you feel? 800-263-2428.